Let's start this morning in Proverbs chapter 4. I want to talk to you about attending to the word. For those of you that, that uh, for those of you that are familiar with me and the church and the story, the history, and, and so forth, um, I got saved when I was young, real young, and I've always grown up in church one way or another. I grew up in a um, fundamental Baptist church in uh, the Southern Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and um, and the people were wonderful. I made pretty much friends for life out of the people that I went to church with. And um, I, I don't want to speak disparagingly of anybody because I know they were doing the best they could. But there was a lot of things in our lives um, that didn't work out the way the Bible says so. And so we took a position, and I, uh, I became the recipient of some of the things that uh, obviously were taught and the attitudes there. We took the position that, that things must be different in our day than they were in Bible days because we sure weren't living Bible results in our lives. Or we begin to deny parts of the Bible. Then there's no power available to live the way that they said that we were supposed to live. And so it's a constant cycle of failure and repentance. And as a result, we had rededications to such a degree as John Osteen said, he wore his rededicator out. <laughs> but that's the pattern if you deny the power of the word. You're never going to make it on your own. You're never going to be able to, to live up to the standard that the Bible gives to us and that religion imposes upon us. And so you come to the place where you're just going through life expecting that the only good things that are going to happen are going to be after we leave this life. And so we start living for eternity. And, and we tried, I tried. But like I said, without power, what do you have? So you fall back into the cycle of sin, repent, rededicate, sin, repent, rededicate. And it's a miserable existence. Miserable. I understand very well why a lot of kids, as they grow up, leave the church. Because if the church doesn't have power to offer, then there's always this sense of condemnation. You never can escape it. Even if you stumble upon Romans chapter 8, where it says, There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the Spirit, but after the flesh. I think I said that wrong. But that's the way we were doing. We were walking after the flesh. And I came across, and, and there was, a, there was a, um, Assembly of God church in the area that I grew up in. Big church. A lot of people well-known in the Assembly of God circles. Now, they didn't deny the power of God. They believed in the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And they would have different manifestations of the Spirit periodically. Mostly it was tongues and interpretation. But when I began to go to that church, I saw what they said was power. But it really didn't have much of an impact on me. And their teaching wasn't much more God-oriented or Word-oriented than the Baptist church, really. And so I, 
I maintained the same attitude that I had. Not because I wanted to think like that or believe like that, but without any evidence to the contrary, again, I really didn't expect God to do much for me. But then I came across the ministry of a man that changed my life. His name was Kenneth Hagin. Now, if you want to see a hodgepodge of lies and misunderstandings and so forth, go Google Kenneth Hagin. And it's all the people that I, like I used to be, that denied the power of God and was trying to walk in the, in the spirit, in the power of my own flesh, which is impossible. It's all the same criticisms then that are, are, are present now, even though he's been gone since 2011, I believe. But here was a man that got Bible results. He had things re, uh, occurring, taking place in his life and his ministry that lined up with what the Bible says you can have. And I remember the first time I heard a, a tape series, it was a, a tape series called Mountain Moving Faith. You can still get, it up, get a hold of it now. But the first tape I heard in that series, he made some statements that caused my heart to jump on the inside of me. I still had the same I was about 20 years old at the time, and I still had some of the same doubts and some of the same thoughts and some of the same mindset. But here was a guy, if he was telling the truth, was experiencing the help of God in his life. And, of course, one of the first things I heard from him or about him was his testimony of healing, how God raised him up from a deathbed when he was just 16 years old. Well, my heart jumped. There was something inside of me, Now, at the time I didn't know anything about being a spirit being. I didn't know anything about how those things work. But something on the inside of me jumped. And so I kept listening. And the more I listened, the more my heart began to jump. One of the first things I heard Brother Hagin teach was here in Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. It said, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thy eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. I saw and heard other scriptures, and when I'd hear Brother Hagin refer to one or, or uh, recite a scripture, I'd always have to look it up in my Bible. I'd have to pause the tape, cassette tape. And look it up in my Bible to see if my Bible said the same thing that his did. And I was amazed to find out the things that were there. I heard him speak on Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law are meaning the word of God. It's all they had in those days was the law of Moses. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Just the last phrase there. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt have good success. That changed my life. Because the idea. The concept that God wanted to do good for you. That God wanted you to prosper. And God wanted you to have success. That was life altering for me. I saw here in Proverbs chapter 4 that it's a discovery process. 
The word of God is life to those that find it. Not everybody finds it. And it's health to all their flesh. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. I just have been impressed of the Lord to share with you some things about where I started, how I started. One of the things that, uh, that ministers are guilty of, and I'm sure I fall into this category too, I wasn't made aware of it until I heard Brother Hagin say later in his ministry, he said a lot of faith preachers preach faith from where they are now, not from where they started. And for that reason, Brother Hagin would always go back to the beginning of things. He'd always go back, and that's why he talked so much about his deathbed experience and the healing and testimony that when God raised him up. As he explained it, he said, I had just a glimmer of light. He said, I didn't know anything like I know now, talking many years later. He said, it was like I had just a glimmer of light shining through the keyhole. But that was enough to raise him up. Even the smallest part of the word of God put into practice will bring results. Matthew chapter 7, notice verse 24. Jesus said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Folks, I began to see that you can decide whether or not you'll succeed in life or fail in life. Notice it's the same storm, same rain, same wind, same flood. And the, the, the difference between these two houses or these two lives is what they're built on. It began to, my eyes began to be open to the reality that we have a choice, we have authority, we make the decision how the things of life, the storms of life are going to affect us. And folks, let me recommend to you that you don't wait till you're in the middle of the storm to decide. See, this guy that built his house on the rock by being a doer of the word, that was long before the rains came or the winds blew. He chose the rock that illustrates the word of God. Just as we choose the word of God to build our lives on. And it'll hold us steady in times of turmoil and trouble. Now let's keep reading here. I didn't get this part when I was just starting out. I got this part many years later. Many, many years later. Notice in verse 28 it continues and it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The word doctrine just simply means teaching. And it tells us why in verse 29. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice the word one is in italics. Anytime you find a word in italics in the King James translation, it means the translator has added it to help us understand. And I'm quite sure that they added that in there because they wanted us to focus on Jesus. They wanted us to think that people were astonished at Jesus' power and Jesus' authority. But that's not what it says. Notice it says in verse 28 that they were astonished at his doctrine. 
They weren't astonished at him. They weren't astonished at his power. They weren't astonished at his authority. They were astonished at his teaching. Well, we just got a sample of what he taught. He taught that you can decide to stand strong against the storms of life no matter what comes or how they come at you by being a doer of the word. Keeping these sayings is being a doer of the word. So here where it says they were astonished at his doctrine, they weren't astonished at him. Notice verse 29 again. For he taught them, literally it says, as having authority and not as the scribes. Well, it's real easy to read that and think still that it's talking about Jesus and the authority that he had. But those two words, as having, if you look them up in the original Greek, they mean something different than the way it comes out. The word as is the word how. It's talking about the manner in which something is done. And the word having means to hold. Now, I can just imagine what the translators thought when they got to that. Because it literally reads, the people were astonished at Jesus' doctrine, for he taught them how to hold authority and not like the scribes. Well, that doesn't point to Jesus' authority. That doesn't point to Jesus' power. It literally says, and don't take my word for it, check it out. It's easy to find Strong's Concordance in apps for your phone or whatever. These words mean just what I told you they did. He taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes were famous for saying, well, it could be this way or it could be this way. And so the people were left with never knowing what anything meant for sure. And I would dare say, I know this was the, the issue in my own life when I first got going and started being interested in the things of God. It's the uncertainties that keep you under. It's the uncertainties that hold you back. See, most of the time people focus on the questions they have rather than focus on the things that they know. Because you're never going to have all the answers to your questions. It's never going to be like that. So knowing that going in, you have to decide, am I going to let the unanswered questions rule my life or am I going to live my life based on the things that I know? Jesus is teaching them how to hold authority. Well, he's teaching them how to be doers of the word. Now, this certainly caught the translators by surprise. But they found that by adding the word one in there, then it points back to Jesus. Now, there is a place in one of the other gospels, I think it's Luke's gospel, where it says Jesus taught them as one having authority. And that, the one there is in the original Greek. So, folks, I'm not trying to say that Jesus didn't have authority. I'm not saying Jesus didn't uh, leave the people awestruck at his authority or at his power. I'm not saying that at all. But the Bible says here, in this verse of Scripture, that Jesus taught that man had authority. Well, how are we going to know if that's true or not? We're going to have to judge the Word of God by the Word of God. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we're going to have to find some other witnesses to see if, he's, if the Bible is telling us about us having authority or if it's referring to Jesus having authority. 
Well, that's really easily done. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 clears it up for us from the very beginning. Genesis 1, 26 says, during God's creative work, and God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And let them have authority over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over all the earth. And over everything that creepeth upon the earth. So it tells us, and it's the only place that the Bible does tell us, folks. It tells us God's one and only one reason for making man is to give him authority here on the earth. God wasn't lonely. He didn't make man because he was lonely. If God can be lonely, he's not God. He certainly didn't need man's help. But the Bible says that God made man to have authority. And he gave him authority over the earth. Now, folks, remember, the Bible says God never changes. I like how Micah, the, cha- the uh, Old Testament book of Micah says it this way. God speaks of himself. He says, I am God, I change not. So if God doesn't change and he gave authority unto man in the beginning, authority over the earth unto man in the beginning, guess who has authority on the earth? God didn't take his authority back. God didn't take Adam's authority back after he fell. If he did that, then he does change and the Bible is the lie. But the Bible says there's neither shadow of turning with God, no variableness in him whatsoever. Not even the shadow of turning. He can't change. And he gave man authority on the earth. So when Jesus comes, Jesus begins to teach man that he has authority. Not that he, Jesus, has authority, but that man has authority on the earth. Now, folks, that has to be true. It has to be true. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God said, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Then he says, choose life. Well, if man didn't have authority on the earth, what choice is there for either life or death? Moses would have had to say, if it is the way that most of the church world thinks that it is, that God has authority and he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants, and man's just along for the ride. If that's the case, then Moses would have had to say, now it would have been nice for us to be able to choose life. But you know we don't have that authority. So just try to hold fast till the end, no matter what happens. No matter what tragedy God brings upon you. But that's certainly not the way Jesus operated. And it's certainly not the way that he told man that man could operate. This was one of the things that got me about Brother Hagin. Because whenever Brother Hagin would teach, he would tell the stories, what wonderful stories, of what God had done, sometimes through him, through other people, sometimes to minister to those other people. But he never taught a story. He never showed the power of God as being exclusive to himself in any way whatsoever. He taught anybody that would listen that you can do the same thing with the word that he's done and get the same or even greater results than he got. And folks, that's exactly what the word of God does. The word of God offers Bible results for anybody who dares stand upon the truth of the word. Look with me to Mark chapter 4. Another of the life-altering passages of scripture for me. 
beginning in verse 1. It says, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine. Now remember, his doctrine must be similar. doesn't mean it has to be the same subject, but it must be similar to the, uh, the doctrine that astonished the people in Matthew chapter 7. So Jesus said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're going to read the rest of it where the disciples ask him about this, and he explains it. But please notice one thing. The sower doesn't change and the word or the seed that he sows doesn't change. It's the same in all four situations, all four pieces of ground. The only variableness in here is not the sower and it's not the seed. The variableness is the ground that the seed falls in. And of course he's talking about people. He's using these types of ground as an example or to illustrate the different ways that people approach the word. Verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable, and he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now here's another part that I didn't know at the time. Learned many years later. But notice that phrase, the mystery of the kingdom of God. I went for years, pastored for years, thinking the kingdom of God was some nebulous, vague, something or other that just meant anything and everything about God. But the only definition we have of the kingdom of God comes from Jesus. Remember when Jesus' disciples came and asked, them, asked him to teach them to pray? One account, one gospel account says that one of the disciples said, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Talking about John the Baptist. And Jesus t gives them what's commonly known in church circles as the Lord's Prayer. It really isn't the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. And it's not even a New Testament prayer. This was something that he instructed them to pray under the Old Covenant. New Covenant, New Testament prayer contains the name of Jesus. And the Lord's Prayer does not. But so here, here's how it goes. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus defines the kingdom of God he defines it very simply as where the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. Nobody doubts the kingdom of God is in force in heaven, do they? What else would there be in heaven? The place, the boundaries, the territory that God rules supreme. That would have to be the kingdom of God. But folks, you need to understand that when God first created the earth prior to sin entering into the scene, prior to Adam and Eve falling in the Garden of Eden, the earth was the kingdom of God too. God created it. He made it just exactly the way that he wanted it to be. He patterned it after heaven. 
After God finished the six days of creation and looked and saw that it was very good, he made an end of everything that he created. That means if something came upon the scene after the first six days, it wasn't God's doing. It wasn't made by God. It wasn't authorized by God. It wasn't endorsed by God. When did sickness show up? See, nobody questions whether or not there's sickness in heaven. It's not a thought on anybody's mind. Everybody knows, instinctively knows that in heaven, there's nothing that can hurt or harm mankind. It's a perfect place. So there couldn't be any sickness there. There couldn't be any poverty there. There couldn't be any lack. There couldn't be any disturbance to peace in any way whatsoever. Because it's the kingdom of God. But how does that differ from, how, from what God made the earth to be prior to sin entering into the scene? It's exactly the same or was exactly the same here on the earth. So when Jesus tells his disciples, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He's saying this is the key for experiencing the things, the will of God here on the earth just like it is in heaven. The Old Testament talks about it this way. Moses referred in several places to days of heaven on the earth. What is that? That's experiencing the will of God here just like you would experience the will of God there. So when Jesus says, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He's saying this information that I just taught in parables. This will bring you into the will of God in every case, in every situation right now during this life, during this time, in the presence of Satan, in the presence of his influence, in the presence of sin all around us, you can still experience the, the will of God here on the earth by doing what this parable teaches us to do. Now, folks, if we just stop right there and don't talk about what those things are, if we just stop right there, how can anybody deny that it's up to you as to what you will have and you will experience from God here and now? See, this is where a lot of the modern-day church bails out. They don't want the responsibility. They want to be able to say God is sovereign. And God in his sovereignty will bring about his will in my life. If things go well, then we can say God's a good God. But if things go bad, if we contract some incurable disease or some tragedy befalls us, then we're left scratching our head saying, well, God moves in mysterious ways. Now, folks, there is a couple of mysterious things about the way God moved. How he could make such stupid people is a mystery to me. <laughs> but the Bible either means what it says or it doesn't, doesn't it? It's either true or it's not. Now, if it's not, if it's a lie, then what are we spending our time trying to find out about it for? And if it's up to God, if it's all about the sovereignty of God, now the God is sovereign, no question about that, and God sovereignly exalted his name above his power. I said that wrong too. Let me correct that. He exalted his word above his name. It means the same thing. In other words, he set the boundary in his sovereign wisdom and his sovereign activity. He has set the boundary for what he will do and has revealed it to us in his word. 
these questions about can God make a rock too big for him to lift and other stupidity like that is irrelevant because it's not a matter of what God can do. It's a matter of what did God say in his word that he will do. So unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins be forgiven them. Now that caused a lot of problems for me for many years too. Because it sounds like God doesn't want everybody to know. But I came to understand what he's really getting to. And that is the things of God cannot and should, be, should not be entered into casually. In other words, if you're going to build your house on the rock. If you're going to build your life on the word. You're going to have to commit yourself to it completely. And he tells us that when he teaches the meaning of the parable. So when Jesus says, I'm teaching these things in parables so that it takes something more than just a casual glance to see and understand. Because the blessings of God belong to those that commit themselves to it. And not just anybody casually trying to use God for a spare tire when one of theirs goes flat. And it also seems to indicate that God doesn't just want to be fire insurance for anybody. Now, that's where we came to in the Baptist church. And I'm not trying to paint all Baptists with this broad stroke or anything like that. I'm just talking about my own experience. But in my own experience, from the things that were taught, if I was intelligent enough to understand what they were saying... God was our insurance for eternal life. God was our heaven insurance instead of hell. But that's all we saw. That's all I saw. As far as God helping me here in this life. That's not the place God wants us to live. Verse 13. He said unto them, know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Folks, notice he's saying the principle that I'm trying to teach in this parable, the sower sowing the word, is the principle that governs anything and everything else that I'll ever teach in parables. This is the foundation. If you don't have an understanding of this one, you'll never understand any of them. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. Remember, the sower is the same for each type of ground. The seed is the same for each type of ground. The sower sows the word. Now we know that it produces results, great results, multiplied results in at least one part of the ground. Right? So that means whatever variableness, whatever variables there are between these four types of ground, we can, if we will, we can get results. So he said the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The wayside is like a, a trodden path that's been walked on and driven on so many times that there's no way for the seed to get in the ground. 
it's a type of people that have hardened their hearts to such a point where they won't listen or accept anything that God's word says. Certainly these would correspond to the unsaved in our lives and in our day. Verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Remember that grew up quickly because it had no depth of earth. But the stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but have no root. The word root or the, the root word for the word root is the word moisture. It has no moisture in itself. In other words, nobody waters it or attends to it. It has no root in itself and so endures but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Notice the first thing he tells us about the protection and taking care of the attending to this seed. He said it needs water. Now, what keeps people from watering the seed? If the sower sows the word, and if the parable goes from somebody throwing seed out physically to somebody sowing the word of God as seed in itself, the only way that a sower can sow the word is by speaking. So when I'm speaking to you here this morning, for example, I'm sowing the word. But whether or not it's going to produce doesn't depend on me. It doesn't even depend on the power of the word that I'm speaking or preaching or teaching or whatever I'm doing. It has to do with the individual. The individual's determination to water the seed. How do we water the seed? By speaking it over and over and over again. See, what Joshua 1.8 says is still true even in Jesus' parable. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In other words, you, may, you speak it over and over and over. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God's telling Joshua the key to the, having the word of God produce results in your life is to speak it over and over and over. That's what this type of ground won't do. That's what this individual refuses to do. Now notice the, the reasons that the Bible gives us, that Jesus gives us, for somebody failing to water the word. Notice verse 17 again. They have no root or moisture in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterwards when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. These two things that he's talking about, affliction and persecution, the word affliction is the word adversity or trouble. The devil knows that a lot of people give up because he throws trouble in their path. He turns up the heat a little bit on them. He brings trouble into their lives. He brings adversity to them. And that's enough for a lot of people to start, stop speaking the word right there. It's easy for somebody to say, well, here I am speaking healing. The other, he said, is persecution. Persecution is when people make fun of you for speaking the word when you're obviously in a different situation, physical situation, than what the word says that you're speaking. A lot of people lose results because they're confessing healing in their body and they have friends or loved ones who say, well, that can't be right. Obviously, you're not healed. Look, it's your body. And so they bring persecution against them. They ridicule them. They make fun of them or whatever. So the devil knows that if he turns up the heat in your life through adversity or through your friends and, and colleagues or family, that's enough right there to make some people quit. 
Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now notice in the stony ground, the people, the people that make up that type of ground wouldn't keep speaking the word. They wouldn't water it. Here, they do water it, and it starts producing results. But remember what Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they, then they, are life unto those that find it and health to all their flesh. See, if the Word's going to produce results for you, you're going to have to build your life on the rock of the Word alone. These people get distracted. The devil knows that if you can distract people, you can keep them from acting on the Word. So what does he distract them with? The cares of this world? The deceitfulness of riches? You know what the deceitfulness of riches is? The deceitfulness of riches is the idea that money will solve all your problems. And there's only one problem money solves, and that's just the absence of money. That's the only thing that it solves in life. Well, God knows that, so he offered to provide for us in material things. Thank God he did. But once you use the money for whatever you need, the bills or whatever you need, you're still the same person afterwards as you were before. You still have the same lack. You still have the same needs spiritually or maybe in other areas. Money doesn't solve anything except the lack of money. So if he can distract people with this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust or desires for other things, then he can cause the word to be choked out. Verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. Notice he's talking about an action that's taken by the good ground that wasn't taken by anybody else. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. And bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. What is he telling us? He's telling us that the good ground doesn't get turned away by adversity or by persecution or distracted by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Now, folks, if you can overcome those five things in your life, you can see the Word of God produce results in every situation and every area of your life. So the good ground doesn't get distracted and it doesn't turn back. Just that simple. But notice the effort that the devil goes to to keep the word from producing in you or in your life circumstances. He goes to a lot of trouble to stir up adversity. He goes to a lot of trouble to stir up persecution. He goes to a lot of trouble to bring the cares of this life to you and try to keep them in front of your eyes. He goes to a lot of trouble to create the deceitfulness of riches in your thinking. And he goes to a lot of trouble to bring desires for other things to you as well. So there is a fight to this. Here's the discovery that Proverbs 4 talks about. When we attend to the word, and it produces results. It says, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh.
Not everybody finds the word. Not everybody finds the truth of the word. Some people fail to find the truth of the word through, adv- uh, through adversity or affliction and persecution. Others fail to find life in the word of God because of the three that are mentioned in the thorny ground. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Those are things that we're going to have to fight to overcome. Those are things we're going to have to stand our ground to defeat. And that's going to have to be by choice. It it will not automatically happen. It will only happen when we determine that it will for us. Verse 21, And he said unto them, Is the candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on the candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying if you're going to live by the word, you're going to have to live it in front of everybody else. You know why a lot of people don't ever find or experience persecution? Because the people around them never know they're saved. You know why a lot of people never experience persecution from standing on the word? When the people around them never know they're standing on the word. So when Jesus says life shouldn't be lived under a bushel, but on a candlestick out front of everybody, we're exposing ourselves to ridicule. We're exposing ourselves to the derision of the world and sometimes even our family or loved ones. And again, it's talking about taking a position of the Word of God or toward the Word of God or His ministry over His family in one place. The family thought He'd gone too far, and so they tried to tame Him a little bit. And when people told Him that His mother and His brothers and sisters were calling for Him, Jesus looked at the people that were following Him for the Word and said, This is my family. Some people fail because they won't leave their family. Now, it's great to have your family in with you. But most of the time, the way you're going to bring your family in with you is when they see the results of the word in your life. Not by you preaching or teaching. Not by you telling them what they're doing wrong. But people watch what happens. So Jesus says again in verse 24. Notice how many times he says this. He's already said it three times to this point. He said, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24 again, he says uh, uh, to them, take heed what you hear. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. What's he saying? He's saying, folks, you're going to have to take heed to the word. You're going to have to attend to the word. If you want Bible results, you're going to have to put the Bible first and foremost in your life. Now, if you're one of those that failed with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. He's very simply saying the attention, the level, the degree, the measure of attention you give to the word of God by speaking it, by keeping your eyes focused on it, by listening to it. That will determine your results. And just like faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, faith leaves by not hearing. I 
I know that God reaches us all in different places in different times of our lives. Many times this was the case in my life. Many times there's one particular problem that you need the word of God to come to pass and, and to be true for you in. For me it was finances. And so I started off just believing God for help because I saw that the Bible said God would bless us financially. Now blessing me financially was simply paying off bills that I couldn't pay. And God will meet you wherever you are. There's no question about that. But if there are things on my own, I wouldn't have gotten the same results that I got. The results I got were because I wanted the Word of God to be first and foremost in every area of my life, not just in the money that I needed to pay the bills. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you need to take heed what you hear. What you listen to is going to affect what you believe, and what you believe is going to determine what you say. So take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet or what measure you give to the Word of God, that's the result that it will produce for you. Did you notice that the good ground produced 30-fold, uh, 60-fold, and 100-fold? All of it's considered to be good ground. What makes the difference between the 30, 60, and the 100? The measure that they needed. The measure of the word of God being first and foremost in their lives. Now the 30-fold was happy with what they got, I'm sure. 60-fold was happy with what they got. But it's possible. Determined by you and me, not by God. But it's possible for us to have 100-fold results by giving our lives over completely to the word of God. Verse 26, Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Notice Jesus is explaining even beyond the parable at this point. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I want you to focus on those last two verses where he talks about the earth. He's telling us that the earth is designed to bring forth the results that the Word of God speaks to. He's telling us that when God created the earth, the six days of it bringing forth the results that the Word of God declares. The whole earth is made that way, folks. That means every area of your life is designed to produce the Word of God results, heaven on earth. And if there's some part of our lives where we're not getting Bible results, it's because we're not attending to the Word in that area. Now, you can attend to the Word in one area and completely ignore the Word in another area. Get Bible results in the first, the world's results in the second. Designed to produce the Word of God results for you. Notice how he defines that. He defines it in verses 26 and 27 as a man that speaks into his life. He's speaking the word of God into his life and into the circumstances of his life. But he goes to sleep and gets up and wakes up in the morning. And this happens day after day after day. He doesn't even know how it's going to work. He doesn't have to know how it's going to work. The world, the earth that God created, the kingdom of God that exists here even after the fall. 
is designed to bring forth those results. Now notice where he said he sleeps night and day, sleeps night, wakes up in the day. Over and over and over again, that indicates to us that time is involved. Now, folks, I'm the poster child for things not working as fast as I want them. But there is no delay that can overcome the truth of the word. That's another thing. That's part of the adversity or the afflictions that the devil will try to bring. He'll try to bring to your attention circumstances that don't line up with the word. He'll try to bring up the fact that it's been so long, you know if you'd really been in faith, it would have worked by now. And a lot of people give up because we're going to have to decide, are we going to go by what's true? Or are we going to go by what things look like? If the word of God is true, Jesus said it was. In his prayer in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John chapter 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy, thy word. Thy word is truth. Folks, there's a big difference between tr truth and factual information. It may be a fact in your body that sickness exists. But the word of God says that Jesus took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. How can that be true when there's evidence, physical evidence of sickness in our body? Quite simply... The truth will always overcome the fact. The truth can change the fact. The fact can't change truth. And God's word is an unseen truthful power that will change anything and everything in its path to come to pass just like God said. And that's part of the fight of faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm in this for the long haul. So no matter what it may look like in me or for me or around me, I know that that doesn't change the truth of God's word. Now the truth of God's word says, if I'll keep saying and believing that, then the circumstances in and around me will change. Plant seed in the ground with the right attitude and the right heart. Even though things delay, even though it happens and takes place over day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year, the Word of God is true and will produce the truthful results that God declared. So as the kingdom of God should, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and shall first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. Verse 30, and he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? What are we going to compare it to? With what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is in the earth and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. In other words, he's saying the word of God that you speak into your life may not look like much. The word of healing that you speak into your body may not look like much compared to the circumstances that you owe. But if you'll keep watering it, if you'll keep attending to it, it'll grow up so big that you'll forget the circumstances that, and how things looked in your body and in your finances. Folks, I, I'm here to tell you that there are certain areas of my life that it's like the situation and the things that I was experiencing before 
that was so big and so huge and looked so big to me, it's almost like it happened to somebody else. It's so far removed that it's like it would happen to somebody else. It's like I was telling a story of somebody else's experience rather than my own. And that's how it's supposed to be. The Bible says God's blessing makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. He will see you through. These are some of the first things that I got a hold of through Brother Hagen concerning faith in God's word and the understanding of how God's word works. And folks, they still make my heart jump today like they did when I first heard them. Because I found God to be faithful. I found God's word to be true. That doesn't mean everything has turned out yet the way that it's going to. There are still things that work. But there's always going to be something I'm believing God for. Whether it's what you can see or what you can't see. Before our eyes. And keep it watered. Keep our attention on it. We'll find the life in the word of God. It will be healing and health to all our flesh. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we magnify you for your faithfulness. We worship you, Lord, because your word is true and you delivered your word to us. You're not trying to keep us in the dark. You're not trying to bring trouble against us. But instead, you have spoken deliverance, words of deliverance over iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We thank you, Father. Just as Jesus said, you watch over the little birds that fly in the air. How much more is your care upon us? Even as your word said, Father, you withheld, you will not. We declare that your word is true and our words are coming to pass. We declare that healing and health is ours. Financial blessing is ours. Restoration from all that the enemy has taken from us is ours. We thank you that peace is ours. We thank you, Father, that all the work of the enemy have been destroyed. We magnify you, Father. We bless your holy name. And we forget not all your benefits. You forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our diseases. You redeem our life from destructions. And you satisfy our mouth with good things so that our is renewed. A good heavenly father. Who sees us through in every respect and in every area. Say this after me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good. And his mercy to me endures forever. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Come back and be with us tonight.